Welcome to episode 4 of the transport. We've built a glorified can opener. The Transport by Alex Ames You are listening to The Transport, a sci-fi military action thriller audiobook podcast, written and performed by Alex Ames. The music throughout the podcast is the song The Last True Boss by Kumiku, available on the freemusicarchive.org. Good morning, good day, good night, whenever you listen to The Transport. Episode 4 is here and let's not waste any more time. Things are shaping up for our heroes. If you like it, buy the book and subscribe to the podcast. CIA analyst and secret alien spaceship godkeeper Charles Norman briefs the presidents of the United States and explains the reason for the transport. The plan is to open up the spaceship with a high-energy proton collider built in the New Mexico desert for the last 20 years. Herbert, in the meanwhile, meets his supreme commander after a successful first conversion. They prepare to convert many more Legion Analytics employees. And eventually Leo has the best day ever at Legion Analytics. He is tasked to give Eva the onboarding. But soon he finds out that his new beautiful sexy co-worker is acting strangely. And here we go. Chapter 10 Charles Tell me one thing, the president asked. He had stood up and paced the floor for a few rounds around the table, contemplating. The ship came down during Truman's term and he set things up to protect the secret. Why was Kennedy involved? Someone had proposed to open up Tin Can with a nuclear bomb, Charles explained and quickly added. A Kennedy denied the request. Yeah, that sounds what a Cold War general would come up with. The president rolled his eyes and turned serious again. We have our collider up and running, ready to crack the egg. So transport the object to Hepcall and do it. Charles was quiet for a beat. That's the path of planning, yes. The president stared at Charles for a long time, swallowed, thinking, realization dawning on him. Quietly, very slowly, he said, But should we really do it? Then a small mirthless smile on his face turned into a single giggle, then another one. He burst out into loud laughs, doubled over, sat down again and held his head, giggles turning into hiccups. Patel left and came back with a water-filled paper cup. The president thanked her and drank with small sips. 
he turned back to Charles. Let me guess. Your play here is a cover-your-ass thing so that future historians can decide that it was President Garrison Earhart who screwed up the alien situation? Maybe we can stage a photo op where you swing a fist at an alien, Will Smith style, Charles suggested, referring to the famous Independence Day movie scene. He saw the no-nonsense stare of his president and shut up. Patel had been quiet for a long time and had to clear her throat before speaking. <clears throat> Are there any other meaningful risks apart from the usual crap like aliens inside the ship waiting for us, deadly viruses released when opening the tin can, a huge explosion flattening everything from here to the Rockies, any other dangers? Charles went through the risk assessment he had memorized. No ma'am. Apart from the mentioned risks being quite real, there are only slight variations from those you mentioned. The president sat down again and tapped on the table, looked between Patel and Charles. Advise me, should we go ahead with this mad idea to open the spaceship? Nuna? Can I print new business cards? Stellar Security Advisor, my new title? The National Security Advisor wagged her head. But seriously, my role is to advise you regarding the safety of our nation. We have enough conflicts here among us humans. Why risk an encounter with aliens or the sicknesses they might bring along? I recall reading that the first settlers' flu viruses killed almost 50% of the pre-colonial American natives. At best, the object gives us an insight into advanced technologies. And I say this, whoever flew this ship to planet Earth has technology capabilities far, far, far ahead of ours. We are like Egyptians 3000 years ago, able to build stone pyramids and read the stars, but unable to understand the inside and meaning of an iPhone or a nuclear bomb. Anything in favor in your eyes? Of course. Understanding this thing and its technology would give us an opportunity of unbelievable progress in so many areas. New energy sources, indestructible materials, interstellar space travel, what not, Patel added. Your take, doctor. You want to continue the research that your predecessors gave up on? The president asked. Charles shrugged. You are asking the wrong guy. I am sworn to secrecy, only emerging when someone needs to decide on the direction or clear the path. I'd love to know what is inside the object, but is it worth it? I can't tell. I'm the desk guy. Doc, I understand your position, the president said, but this time I'm ordering you to form an opinion and tell me. I'm your president and I ask for your advice. You might not have the senior level of Nuna, but I value your insight all the same. If someone knows the object, it's you, so speak up. Charles swallowed and considered his opinion. You know, I am a historian and I see it from a different perspective, Mr. President. Human nature always seeks what's behind the horizon. 
We discover new physical or chemical effects, get insights into biology and transform it into technology. Sometimes slower, sometimes faster. Sometimes through systematic research, sometimes by sheer luck. Humans are a curious species, even if it kills us occasionally. Despite setbacks, it is our nature to discover and explain the unknown. You say no today, it means no for today, not a no forever. Tin can will be patient. It lay dormant for so many years, it will lie dormant for another hundred. The inevitable is just delayed by some generations. But at a certain point, another leader will face the same decision as you do and will decide differently. So why not act today instead? Proceed with the plan, Mr. President. Is it possible that after almost 70 years there's anyone alive inside? I mean, not a virus or micro stuff, but, but real aliens? The president looked at his advisor. No answer came back. What is my decision power here, Charles? You are the gatekeeper, outside of any oversight. Is my decision even binding? Sir, you overstate my role. I keep the secrets safe and the compartments intact. That's it. I am a single person working as a facilitator, not a state within a state. If you told me to shelve the project for another 50 years, I would do it. If you told me to brief the Washington Post, I would do that too. My task is to pass the secret along to the next generation of presidents and scientists. And if I told you to destroy any material, bury the object in a big hole and put soil on it, you would do it? Sure, you are the commander-in-chief. Could I order you to be the last gatekeeper, not to pass on the secret, have it stopped with you? On your word, the gatekeeper role and the project as a whole would stop with me, Charles confirmed. Little mercies, apart from the fact that we don't know your peers, in case there are more. The president stood up again and once more paced the room. He was a dried-out alcoholic, sober for 11 years and counting, but there were times where he wished for a stiff drink. Chapter 11 Sina Dr. Simmons led them once around the spaceship. The feeling of sucked-out energy from the room and her body did not leave Sina. This thing was... what? Alive? Active? She couldn't tell. The sight was so unreal and the thing appeared so dark that it felt like a black hole had been punched into her retina of her eyes. So black. Are we allowed to touch it? she asked. No problem. 
You can't break anything, soldier, the old scientist chuckled. I was more worried about radiation coming from space and all that, Sina pointed out. Nope, nothing active. It only takes, never gives. Someone has his philosophy down. Sina and her three companions stepped closer and laid their hands on it. Like Simmons had mentioned, the material seemed to have the temperature of whatever was around it, so it felt neither cold nor warm to the touch. No vibration, no humming, just solid material. Extremely smooth, Sina caressed it several times. Major Bristol made a fist and hammered against it. All that came back was the sound of flattened flesh. Impressive. Max said, stepping back. Kimmick just survived it in reverie, his head craned upwards. You look starstruck, Lieutenant, Sina called over to him. I am, the young officer admitted. Think about it. All we've done so far, as a species, was to visit the moon. We sent out some simple robots to other planets and even a few pieces of metal and silicon to endless journeys outside of our solar system. He patted the hull. A ship from space, from God knows what star on our firmament. Here, on our Earth. What's inside? Mech asked. We don't know, Dr. Simmons said. Seventy years of probing and we don't know. About time another generation has a crack at it. He gave a barking laugh that turned to a brief coughing fit. <laughs> Crack at it, got it? Another cough. No one laughed. Simmons clapped his hands. Will you follow me, please? You are ready for the spook. They assembled in the cramped conference room that held a relatively modern-looking video system. The soldiers sat around the pockmarked conference table and Simmons pressed a few buttons. The camera on top of the monitor lit up red and another conference room appeared on the screen. A chime announced that audio was connected too. Now that's what I call an unimpressive James Bond, Cena thought. A man around his early thirties, lanky, with well-cut black hair in a three-piece suit, stepped into the picture and sat down on his end. He had a friendly, open face, but looked tired and nervous. His furtive glancing eyes gave him away. Fantastic. The tech works. Lady, gentlemen, great that you could make it. Sergeant Washington, great that your assignment got pulled through in time. Then we are good to go with Operation Tin Can. Simmons snorted. Yes, our doctor here never liked the code name for the object, but someone here in DC seemed it fitting, way before all our times. My name is Dr. Charles Norman, and I am an analyst at the CIA. I am the project manager for Tin Can and organized this little operation in the last month. In the room, I see the leaders of the various teams Washington, Bristol, McDonald, and Kimmick. Each one gave a little wave into the camera. 
as all of Tin Can is extremely hush-hush and need to know, I will not bore you with background information and come straight to the chase. You have seen what Tin Can is with your own eyes by now, and you are probably as struck as I was when I first heard of it. Bristol spoke up. We've seen it, Doctor, and judging from the team and equipment you assembled, you want us to securely transport it from A to B. Absolutely correct, Major. Let's have a look at your mission. A map of New Mexico and their surroundings appeared on the screen. Charles' face moving from full screen to stamp size. The marking you see is the base you are in. It had been built exclusively for Tin Can in the 50s to allow investigation without curious eyes. Around 60 miles east of you, for the last 20 years, the US and an international consortium of friendly nations has built one of the biggest machines ever conceived by mankind. HEPCOL, a high-energy proton collider. It is used by scientists from all over the world to research the most inner workings of our physics, subatomic particles that hold our matter together, what create gravity, and how to brew better coffee. That was a joke, by the way, the coffee. The team in the conference room on the other side of the country did not chuckle. Norman seemed to hold a significant responsibility, but he was clearly no comedian. Norman looked nervously into the camera. Your job is straightforward. You transport Tin Can from the base to the collider. Your job starts as of now and ends when your empty transporter leaves the target facility. And then you forget that this mission ever happened. Transport? Just like that? Mac asked. Do you have any idea how much effort goes into mega-heavy transports? The amount of pre-planning, the technical calculations, the road preparations? Norman smiled into the camera. You will see that we've thought of everything. The best minds in the transport business were asked to prepare and pre-plan. They didn't know the nature of the load, of course, just the parameters. Every yard of road or terrain must be analyzed beforehand. This is not a desk job in DC, Cena agreed with Mac. You can't just load your heavy suitcase onto our transport system and travel merrily to Disneyland with us. We did the terrain analysis on site. There's an important difference to any other transport you've encountered before. This project has been anticipated for the last 20 years. Norman started to project a series of photos on the screen. Highway 451 was extra reinforced five years ago with shoulders extra wide and ground compressed twice. Special ramps have been constructed to allow optimal turns from the airbase onto the highway. Same when you enter the Hepcall facility. There are literally only three turns on your trip. A battalion of engineers have already removed all power lines and telegraph posts and traffic signs to give you optimal conditions and a clear path. Any road damage or terrain anomaly has been taken care of before you hit the road and is provided to you, ready to load into the software you use to control the transporter and the load. Mac and Cena looked at each other. Sir, 
I'll have to see the plans to form my opinion, Mac muttered, and Cena nodded. You will, right after this meeting, Charles said. Major Bristol? Yes, sir, Bristol said. You and your team play an important role. Tin Can is the most secret item on the planet. The only people that lay eyes on the object are the teams of McDonald and Washington. They need to handle it, no way around that, but no one else. Not your own team, no civilians, no other military personnel on the base, no law enforcement, no politicians. The security parameter will be impenetrable. If anyone breaches the corridor, you engage. No risk. Shoot first, ask later, do not stop. Others will take care of any aftermath or political fallout. Yes, sir, understood. No eyes on the object. And as a disclaimer, under no circumstances are you allowed to reveal Tin Can's identity. Neither to your superiors nor in writing in any situation or report is that clear. It was. All four soldiers nodded. All right, lady, gentlemen, the clock is ticking. You have the rest of the day to load. Wheels moving at five o'clock tomorrow. You are crazy, Mac jumped up. Loading tonight? Staff Sergeant MacDonald, you and your team are the best of the best, and there's no one else who is able to make it happen. We have full confidence in your team's abilities. In yours as well, Sergeant Washington. Lieutenant Kimmick, we will have a briefing every hour on the hour in this room, and tomorrow in transit too, via set phone. Yes, sir, Dr. Norman. Over and out. Norman pressed the button on the touch panel in front of him, and the screen turned dark. Simmons left without a word. The team looked at each other. No one spoke at first. Over and out, Mac repeated. Kimmick cleared his throat. Mac, before you start arguing, let's look at the plans first, all right? Mac lifted his hands in mock surrender. Simmons returned, carrying heavily on a large stack of files and rolled up plans. He dumped them all on the meeting desk. The plans? This concludes my part in all of this. I'll leave you young people to figure it out. Good luck. Sina looked at him. But don't you accompany us? You have all the knowledge about the object. Simmons looked very old and tired. Young lady, I might not be allowed to tell you, but I tell you anyway. Truth is, we know nothing about the object, except that it's effing heavy and comes in the color black. I'm looking forward to my retirement, going where there's snow, lots of snow, maybe Canada or Alaska. Lots of white would be fine, maybe even paint my cabin white, have an albino husky as a dog. No desert for me anymore. With that, the man left the soldiers alone in the meeting room. The next hour, the team poured over the various plans and briefings. Mac shook his head several times and complained, but also had to concede that the plans were well thought through. Kimmick asked Mac when the man displayed another intense shaking of his head. Mac, you need to vent. Mac snorted at the papers. Tin can is heavy, slightly above 2,500 metric tons, more than 5 million pounds. 
including the rig that is needed to cradle it on top of the MMTUs, we are talking 2,600 tons. That is officially above our maximum loading capacity, but who's been counting here, right? The course is relatively straight, like Charles said, only three turns. We might be good. I don't like the word might, Bristol muttered. We are moving a fucking spaceship. Good luck with keeping that thing off Instagram when you run into the ditch. Max stared at him. Bristol had to be an impressive specimen with his rank and function, but Mac loved to fight and did not mind long odds. Do you know anything about VHTS? I don't even know what it stands for. Very heavy transports. That's Sina's and my league. The transport system next door is made for heavy stuff. Very, very heavy stuff. Conceptually, our MMTUs can carry unlimited weight, hence the word massive. If it is heavier, just add more wheels and power units, Mac explained for Bristol. But unfortunately, the rest of the world is not made for this. Our configuration next door has about the size of a football field. No way you'll manage to move it down Fifth Avenue. Additionally, such a weight causes a lot of structural trouble from the pressure it puts on the ground. And I'm not talking about the road top that melts away like butter in the sun when you bear down with incredible force. I mean cavities under the soil, hundred feet down, that suddenly decide to cave in. Sina added, Then there are water-carrying layers of soil underneath you. The water is pressed out and part of your transport starts to sink. And then there's fluid ground, the worst of all. Fluid ground, like quicksand? Bristol asked, clearly intrigued by the new world the two logistic experts were explaining to him. Sina took a piece of paper and made a small sketch. It's an effect that is mostly observed during earthquakes. The shaking ground presses out water out of the soil. The water molecules hold the sand particles together, give it stability, the adhesion forces at work. When the water is pressed out, the sand sort of glides away in spectacular fashion if you put pressure on it. Exactly like quicksand. Suddenly everything on top, and I mean everything, vehicle, man, building, is swallowed by the ground. Our MMTUs, with heavy load on wheels, can cause the same effect. Interesting job you have, Bristol said. Kimmick interrupted the physics lesson. All right, we give us another 30 minutes reading time. Let's find out how good the prep really is. Then we summarize and get to work. Time was up quickly, too quickly. She hated to go into the transport blind without having inspected the track herself, but this was impossible to achieve tonight when they needed every minute to bring the MMTUs into position underneath the object and started loading it. Loading procedure looks fine to you, Mac, Kimmick opened the final discussion. Mac patted the various folders in front of him. I tell you, when Sina has her rig into position underneath the object, and we start lowering. On paper it looks fine. 
they prepared a number of giant cradles that will sort of clasp underneath the object and place onto the MMTUs to distribute the weight evenly. Then we remove the existing static bearings that hold the object now, one after another. This allows us to line up the wheels row by row. Good concept. Good enough for me, Kimmick said. Sergeant Washington, the route. Most of the course is straightforward, in the literal sense, straight, very gentle up and downs. Again, on paper the track looks fine, but I want to do an inspection run after we left the base and made the turn into the highway. Total trip length is 88 miles, estimated wheel time is 30 hours, plus whatever unloading surprises we might have. Rolling wheels are 18 hours. What's the difference? Bristol asked. Rolling time is our actual trip duration. But the heavy load has a structural impact on the ground while not moving. The MMTU needs to have all systems going strong from the time the first ton bears down on it. That's wheel time. She spread out the prepared map that showed the complete surroundings of start and target area and the highway in between. We have two pit stops. First one at mile 16 near the crossing where the highway splits and second at mile 52. The engineering battalion has placed fuel for the units. But only that. Due to the security measures we need to run through the fueling procedures ourselves. Is that an issue? Kimmick asked. Sina nodded. Manpower-wise, yes. My team is six people plus myself, two by the controls at all times, leaving four pair of hands for four powertrain tanks with assists from Max team. Two thousand gallons each for our four power generators. It will take ages, she shrugged. Apart from the fueling procedure, what about the path itself? Kimmick asked. Sina pointed at the map. There are four critical waypoints. It starts with turn one when we reach the base exit and need to make a 90 degree turn in order to shoot straight onto the highway. You can't even do a regular curve with your truck? Bristol asked. Major, we have a device of the size of football field. We can drive it through bottlenecks with an inch to spare on each side. But have you ever turned a football field? Sina asked. Believe me, it is different from driving a Ford pickup truck through a cornfield. Bristol gave his first grin, a feat that looked utterly fake on this otherwise totally hard-ass persona. You made me the cowboy I am. Yippee-ki-yay! Second critical waypoint is the fueling. All things can go wrong as we will not be moving for about two hours, maybe longer. The engineering corps has done its best to solidify the ground for us, laid out some additional steel mesh matting, but let's see if that's enough to stop our wheels from sinking in. Good to see that you are an optimist, Max said. Sina rolled her eyes, but otherwise ignored Max's poke. Then, three miles later, approximately half point, is the junction going north towards Veracity. She looked up at Bristol. Your potential eyes could come from there, I guess. Bristol nodded. It's in the briefing. Veracity, New Mexico. 42,000 population, 7th biggest city in New Mexico. 
some small industry, some tourism, mostly to visit the old bombing sites. The road you mentioned that's leading towards veracity is the only solid road, so the local sheriff should be able to keep people away. But apart from accidental traffic from the city, we also need to take care of any curious farmer who takes one of the off-road paths. That's the task for the Air Force helicopters. What's so special about the crossing, Kimmig asked. Sina pointed around the T-junction. An area made of desert sand, not desert rock. Even with only moderate truck frequency on that highway, they needed to renew the road every two years due to sink and damage from the passing trucks. Not good, Kimmig agreed. You go flat there? Sina was astonished that the officer knew that piece of lingo. But maybe he had done his homework after all. Yeah, for a stretch of two miles, we will lower the tire pressure and decrease pounds per square inch by about 30%. Let's see if it works, but it will cost us four hours. Four hours to let air out of the tire? Bristol again with a curiosity question. Bristol, you saw what we have out there, she waved in the general direction of the MMTU. We are talking 310 tires that need to blow off air in sync. That alone takes an hour. We run flat on the sandy ground for two miles. Then it takes three hours to inflate them again. We are able to roll on, but in slow motion. Next, Kimmich asked, looking at his watch. After Veracity Crossing comes turn two, the collider area exit. They made it super wide and gave it a concrete floor. I wonder how they explained this in their planning. Maybe they invented plans to build a shopping mall? Mac tried to lighten the mood. Between the imaginary Sears and Starbucks, sure, this turn should be a breeze. Then comes turn three, positioning ourselves for the descent into the collider hall. It's a 400-yard ramp, bringing us from desert level into the subterranean hangar. It's a 5% inclination, too much for Mac's liking, I bet. You bet, I bet, Mac muttered. But with a yard a minute, we should make it. Why the crawl? Bristol asked. Our tactics are alike to the ranger's approach, Major, Cena smiled. When in doubt, crawl. The slower we go, the less acceleration forces target our load in case we have to stop suddenly. Mac growled. You don't want that mass to shift, Major. The destabilizing forces would break any fastener or safety we have applied to the load. Shifting load is the nightmare of any transport. And with the spaceship mass on the move, it will crush any component beneath. We'll decide the final approach when we can inspect the ramp, Kimmich decided. Well done, Mac. Well done, Washington. He turned to Bristol. Major, anything we need to know from your end? We have a four-perimeter concept. Outer perimeter is a formal no-fly zone that has been established for a corridor of 300 miles around us. A lot of people crossing flyover country will need to detour. Second perimeter... A couple of fighter planes define the medium distance circle of approximately 100 miles, supported by an AVAX radar unit that will circle above us non-stop, able to pick up anything that flies. 
third perimeter, the two helicopters secure the line of sight zone of about five miles. One is an attack helicopter, the other a people carrier to do active insertions. In the perimeter is my team. We will babysit the object with 50mm guns mounted on the Humvees and the personal transporters, two of each in front and in the back of the convoy. He pointed at the circles he had drawn on the chart. The shoot first directive makes things easy for us in all of the parameters. I assure you Justin Bieber's next secret marriage will be in the public domain compared to our transport. Questions? There was a small pause. Sina asked, you know the Bieber? Alex Ames here. Sorry for the little interruption. This story will continue momentarily. If you like a good thriller, check out my 2020 novel COVID Trouble. COVID Trouble is a novel in my ongoing troubleshooter series featuring the corporate troubleshooter Paul Trouble. COVID Trouble takes place in Paris, France after the first lockdown of 2020, just when life seems to normalize again during the worldwide life-threatening pandemic. And France is getting ready for some well-earned summer vacations. Someone is poisoning supermarkets with the virus. Is it a lunatic? Is it a terrorist act? Paul Trouble will find out. A lot of bullets will fly, there are car chases, gunfights, rooms full of dead people, deadly fire traps and many, many, many ways to die. COVID Trouble is available as ebook at most online retailers and as paperback at Amazon and some other e-tailers. Check it out, it's a ride. It's inspired by the current events of that crazy, crazy year 2020. COVID Trouble is the name, Alex Ames, the author. That being said, by the book. And now, let's jump back into the transport. Chapter 12 Leo Leo and Eva ran into Herbert in the afternoon when the stressed-out-looking facility manager passed their cubicles. The man looked as if he had partied through the night, dark pouches under tired eyes, wearing a crumbled shirt. Hey, Herb, Leo called out and got up from behind his workstation. Over the years, they had formed a sort of slob-to-slob relationship, standing together with beer in hands at the company barbecues. Eva, working at her desk behind the partition, also stood and stared at her watch, then at Herbert, as if she were surprised to see him. You know each other? Leo glanced between Eva and Herbert. Herbert couldn't stop staring at Eva. Yeah, you ape, and I have the privilege of working beside her all day, and you don't, Leo thought. No, we don't, Herbert eventually diverted his eyes, giving Leo an annoyed smile and turned to Eva. Good to meet you, I'm Herbert, the building guy. 
He held out his hand to Eva over the cubicle wall. She did not shake it, instead took a step back. Her face was poker face blank. Another awkward pause, which Leo tried to overplay. Listen, Eva here had a question about our parking lot. Herbert kept a straight face, but couldn't keep a twitch from his left eye. What about our parking lot? Vagrants? Eva looked at Eva. Your observation? Eva said with a nervous voice, I, I was... never mind. She sat down again behind her workstation, keys clacking. Leo and Herb both looked at the spot where Eva's head had vanished. Well, Leo said, our shy new co-worker had a question about the size of a front parking lot, commenting on the massive oversize. Oversize? Herbert's face turned tense. Sorry, I don't have time for this. Is your boss in? Leo looked over to the office. His door is closed, so I guess either or. Talk to you later. Herbert said and steered towards the office. Leo looked after him. No time for an answer. Herb, you were as uncomfortable as if we discovered porn on your computer. He sat down and talked to his screen in a normal voice. What was this all about? Nothing, came the curt answer from behind the partition. Leo stood up again and peered over. Eva's attractive mouth was a small, thin line, her eyes not leaving the screen. Herbert is Herbert, he doesn't bite. Eva cleared his throat. You wanted to show me the tool sets available in the software library? Leo sighed. My little mysterious spy. I recognize a smoothly laid segue when I see it. All right, keep me out of the loop. It's poor Leo. Tools you want, tools you get. He rolled over on his chair into a cubicle and took over her computer mouse. She boxed him softly with her elbow, her perfume all around him. I wish this workday could last forever. This is it for this week's edition of The Transport, the sci-fi action thriller written and performed by Alex Ames. If you liked what you just heard, leave a comment in whatever platform you downloaded or listened to the podcast. If there are stars, star me, help me spread the good. And again, my shameless self-promoting plug. If you liked it so far and can't bear the suspense, buy the book. If you can bear the suspense, buy the book. And another shameless self-promotion. If you liked what you heard and think that many of your potential customers might be listening to this podcast too, feel free to contact me at alex.ames.writing at gmail.com or send me a private message on Twitter or Instagram at Alex Ames writing one word. The middle section of this podcast could be reserved for you. 
And that's it. For real. Wherever you are, whoever you are. Thank you. Take care. I hear you next time. This is Alex Ames. This was The Transport. Over and out. <laughs>